listen to God's word as the church has summarized it and confesses it in Lord's Day 21. Lord's Day 21, we find that on page 534 in your book of praise. So today we'll just be reading question and answer 54. What do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Christian Church? I believe that the Son of God, out of the whole human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, defends, and preserves for himself, by his spirit and word, in the unity of the true faith, a church chosen to everlasting life. And I believe that I am and forever shall remain a living member of it. afternoon was prepared by Reverend Steve Bauman, currently minister of the Smithville Canadian Reformed Church. And this sermon was actually originally preached in Calvin Club. The, uh, some of the location references, I think, were preached in our local Edmonton area. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, if one had to list doctrines about which there is confusion, one would have to mention also the doctrine concerning the church. A generation or so ago, one knew it was the Lord's will that one be and remain a member of a Reformed church. That general certainty is gone, and the evidence lies in the fact that in the last number of years, people have much more easily withdrawn from the church than was in the case in years past. A second indicator of change on the point is the ease with which faithful members of the congregation spend their Sundays away and either go to a different church or content themselves with not going to church at all. They may instead stay at home and listen to your recordings. In the face of this increasing lack of clarity about the Lord's revelation on the church, I need today to open with you God's word on this matter. I want to do so by highlighting two points. First, I need to draw out the Savior's sovereign work. Then I need to highlight our responsibility. I'll summarize the sermon, the theme for this sermon. Christ gathers his church today, and we are part of it. First, the sovereign work of, the, of Jesus Christ, and second, the responsibility of today's Christians. The sovereign work before the Lord God created the world, he had determined all that would happen in the history of the world he was about to fashion. That includes who would be saved. We read in Ephesians 1 that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, verse 4. That is, from out of the whole human race that would populate the earth, in the course of time, the Lord elected a certain definite number to salvation in Jesus Christ. Imagine two circles, if you will. The outer one representing the whole population of the whole earth over the centuries of all time. And the inner circle, the total number of the elect. In the passage we read from John 17, the Lord tells us that God has given these elect people, these elect 
people of the inner circle to the Son. In verse 6, Jesus says, I have manifested your names to the men who you have given me out of this world. They were yours, and you gave them to me. See verses 2, 9, 11, 12, etc. These are, of course, the elect whom the Father has chosen before the foundation of the world. At Jesus' birth, the angel told Joseph to call the baby's name Jesus because he said he will save his people from their sins. Matthew 1, verse 21. His people. That's a reference to the elect of God whom the Father would give to the Son. It was for them that Christ came into the world, for them that the Son laid down his life on the cross. Their sins were transferred to the Son. The Son paid for those sins so that these elect persons now righteous before God, they are heirs of eternal life. Who are these people whom the Father chose to life eternal and gave to the Son? The scriptures are emphatic. They are not only Jews or Europeans. It's true that the Old Testament chose Abraham for himself and established his covenant of grace with him and his seed. That's why the Old Testament tagged specifically the people of Israel as God's people. In distinction from the Moabites and Egyptians and the Greeks, etc. But when God first set Abram apart for himself, he straightway said God would make Israel a blessing for the nations. In Genesis 12, verse 3. So the Lord also took Rahab of the Canaanites and engrafted her into the people of God. And God took Ruth from the Moabites and engrafted her also into the people of God. Indeed, the Holy Spirit moved the prophet Zechariah to announce, chapter 2, verse 11, Many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and they shall become my people. That's where we read this in Isaiah 45, verse 23. That includes the Europeans of the world and the Arabs of today. With the death of Christ on the cross, the dividing wall God had placed between the Jews and the Gentiles was broken. So when Jesus, before his ascension, told his disciples that all authority had been given to the Son in heaven and on earth, so the whole world is the Lord's kingdom, the disciples were therefore to go and make disciples of all nations, as we read in Matthew 28, verse 19. Peoples of every tribe and tongue and race on earth must be told of the saving work of God in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and the redemption from the judgment of God. For God has elected persons of every tribe and tongue and race and given them to the Son. So the disciples did, according to Christ's command, they preached the gospel throughout the world. And so churches were established throughout the known world of those days. Before I draw this out any further, brothers and sisters, in terms of today's world, I need to explain the link between Christ's sovereignty in heaven and the labors of the apostles. I do so by referring to the passage we read from Acts 16. The apostles, it says that chapter, went through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, but they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Verse 17. And again, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit would not permit them. Verse 7. We need to know the Spirit is always the Spirit of Christ. That is, through the Spirit, the ascended Christ did not permit his messengers to preach the word in Asia and in Bithynia. Instead, through his Spirit, Christ directed his apostles towards Troas. 
against Troas, the Lord gave Paul a vision of a man pleading for him to come to Macedonia. So Paul went and began to preach the word in Philippi. And behold, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. The Lord, that's the ascended Christ, this woman came to faith. Why did she come to faith? Because she was one of those whom the Father had chosen to write before the foundation of this world, and therefore one of those whom the Father had given to the Son. Yet she could not benefit from Christ's saving work until she could come to faith. And faith comes from the Holy Spirit through the preaching. So Christ from heaven sends preachers to Philippi to bring her the good news. Do you see, beloved, how Christ is at work here? Yes, he has ascended into heaven, and from his throne he governs the world. But he governs his, he governs with his people in mind. So Christ, through his spirit, forbade Paul from preaching in Bithynia and Asia. For there were those in those regions... For there were in those regions none whom the Father had given to the Son, who now had to hear the gospel. Christ instead sent Paul to Philippi, because in that town there were those whom the Father had given to the Son, and they should now come to faith. This is the point the church confesses in the Canons of Dort, chapter 1, article 3. Here the church echoes God's revelation like this. So that men may be brought to faith, God's merciful sends heralds, God mercifully sends heralds of his most joyful message to whom he will to whom he will and when he wills. By their ministry men are called to repentance and to faith in Christ crucified. End quote. Let it be fixed in our minds, congregation, that preachers go out with the word of God to this nation and that and that town. This is not the work of men, but this is Christ at work. It is Christ gathering his church. The point is important. We confess with Lord's Day 19 that our Savior is in heaven and that from heaven he directs the events of world history. But whatever he does in world history is done with a view to his church gathering work. The Father had given certain persons in Philippi to the Son. And so the ascended Christ directed events of history in such a way that his apostles would not go to Bithynia or to Asia, but would instead go to Philippi. Again, because the Father had given certain persons in Philippi to the Son, the ascended Christ saw to it that language would not be a hindrance to the preaching of his gospel. Through the gosp- Though the gospel came from Judea, Christ chose a preacher fluent in the language and culture of Greece, where Philippi was located. Christ's divine leadership in history was not limited to those days. Still today, the Lord leads world history in such a way that preachers can bring the gospel to those whom the Father has given through his Son. It may well be that the turbulence in the Middle East today will prepare the way for preachers to preach the gospel amongst the Arabs. There may be those whom the Father has given to the Son, and so the Son works opening for the preaching in that part of the world. However that may be, The fact of the matter is that Christ is busy causing the gospel to go out to all those whom the Father has given to him, of every tribe and tongue and nation. That is his church-gathering work. Acts 16 tells us another aspect of Christ's church-gathering work. 
After Lydia and her household were baptized, Paul and Silas ended up in prison. Through an earthquake and the preaching that followed, the jailer also came to faith. In other words, the father had given this jailer also to the son. And so the son caused the word of life to cut across the jailer's life and reach him with faith in his heart. After the apostles released from prison, we read this amazing conclusion. They entered the house of Lydia, and when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. My point is this. Christ has worked faith in Lydia, has worked faith also in the jailer. But after the departure of the apostle, Christ does not desert these two persons. Yes, he has worked faith in their hearts, and now he continues his work with them. There is no indication that Lydia and the jailer knew each other before they came to faith. There is no indication that either that the two of them lived in the same part of the city. But after Paul's release from prison, he returned to Lydia's house, and there he met the brethren. Verse 40. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ, after he had worked faith in these two persons, he brought them together. And he didn't do that once, but time and time again. Here is more of the Savior's church-gathering work. These people of Philippi in whom he worked faith are not deserted nor left as so many degenerated individuals scattered across town, each separate from each other. No, the Christ who caused the gospel to come to them now gathers them together to be his church in that town. The church is not all the elect of God scattered as so many regenerated individuals all over the face of this earth. The very word church means literally in the Greek language an assembly or a gathering. This work of Christ in Philippi, whereby he gathered together those in whom he worked faith because became a pattern in every town where there were persons whom the Father had given to the Son. From Philippi, the apostles traveled on to Thessalonica and preached the word. And there also those persons who were chosen to life before the foundation of the world came to faith. These believers did not remain so as so many islands to themselves in Thessalonica, but the ascended Christ gathered them together to form his church in this place, the assembly of his people. So the apostle Paul could write a letter to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 1. The same happened in Berea and in Athens and Corinth and the other places where the Father had given elect persons to the Son. Always, brothers and sisters, this is the Christ at work. It is he who sovereignly, graciously sends his servants to preach, work faith, and gathers the elect together. All of this is his church gathering work. That's a work that continues in the course of church history, that continues today also, even in Canada. Yes, here even in Edmonton. We're so used to coming to church, but it's to be fixed in our minds that, when we, that what we see here, Sunday by Sunday, is the work of the exalted Christ. From heaven above, he is busy in Edmonton, in Winnipeg, in Amsterdam, and in countless places around this world, some known to us, but many others unknown. He has his elect, those whom the Father has given to the Son. And so he sent his preachers to proclaim the gospel that these elect come to faith. More, then Christ gathers these believers together to form his church in that town. Please, beloved, let's
let's not get used to it, but let's marvel instead. Christ is busy in June 2014. He's busy all over the world causing the word of life to be preached here, there, and everywhere. Everywhere there are persons whom the Father has given to the Son. Christ is busy even in our little corner of the globe here in Edmonton. And we are allowed to see something of his work with our own eyes here today. We see it more. We're even allowed to be part of it. How amazing and how encouraging. I said at the beginning of the sermon that there's a measure of confusion in relation to the doctrine of the church. I trust now that this matter is is much more clear. And it's a critical point. The church is not the work of men. The church consists of people, yes, but it's not a product of people. The Holy Spirit draws our attention to Christ, he says. And it is the church that we see very concretely something of what Christ is doing today. The Christ who died on the cross and today governs the world from the Father's right hand has gathered and is gathering into one assembly the people whom the Father has given to him, elect persons from every tribe, every tongue, and every race. And it's this gathering of those who trust in Christ that constitutes the church. That's why the Belgian Confession describes the church as it does in Article 27. It says the confession concerning the church, It is a holy congregation and assembly of the true Christian believers who expect their entire salvation in Jesus Christ are washed by his blood and are sanctified and sealed by the Holy Spirit. End quote. Christ takes the believers and brings them together, and that body of believers is his church in a given place, gathers his people together anywhere on the face of the earth, and that's what caught them, that's what caught the Epiphanian. That's what caught the term Catholic. The term Catholic means universal, and the point is that Christ does his church-gathering work anywhere around the world, in Edmonton, in St. Albert's, in Amsterdam, and so many other places, known to us or unknown. Again, in the words of Article 27, as follows, Moreover, this holy church is not confined or limited to one particular place or to certain persons, but is spread and dispersed throughout the entire world. However, it is joined and united with heart and will in one and the same spirit by the power of faith. Here is the fulfillment of passages of scripture such as Zechariah 2, the passage I quoted before, where the Lord says that many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and they shall become my people. Zechariah 2, verse 11. Persons of every tribe and tongue and race have been chosen by the Father and given to the Son, and that is why there is no place for any form of racism racism among the people of God. Christ is busy anywhere in the world gathering his own together. It's for us to see, to take encouragement from, and to acknowledge that persons of other tribes and cultures are our brothers and sisters in Christ, washed by one blood, joined and united with us to the one Christ. Today, so much brokenness can keep the people of God apart. It prevents so much understanding and respect for Christ's worldwide church-gathering work. But on the day of Christ's return, all the brokenness will end. On his great day, we'll all congregate together and together sing the praises of the Lamb who died for us all and gathers that Catholic church. In the brokenness of this life, it's for this day that the church longs so eagerly. 
to our second point, the responsibility of today's Christian. The ascended Lord then gathers his church around the world. He takes his own Sunday by Sunday from their houses and their beds and bring them, brings them together around this world. How does he do that? How concretely does the Lord bring you to church today? He does that, brothers and sisters, by activating our responsibility. He gives us the command to gather together, to go to church. In the Old Testament already, the Lord told his people that on the Sabbath day they had to gather together. We read in Leviticus 23, The seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation, a sacred assembly. After Jesus' ascension, the New Testament church did precisely that. On the day of Pentecost, the first day of the week, the believers of Jerusalem were all with one accord in one place, as we read in Acts 2, verse 1. In the rest of the New Testament, you will find that very pattern. The believers came together on the first day of the week. We read this in Acts 20, verse 7, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 2, Revelation 1, verse 10. So the apostle can give this instruction to the Hebrews. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some. We read this in Hebrews 10, verse 25. It's on the basis of material as this that the church confesses in Lord's Day 38 about the fourth commandment, that especially on the day of rest, I diligently attend the church of God. You see, Christ in heaven gathers his church on earth, and he does so by giving us the command to leave our homes Sunday by Sunday and come to church. He gives us no option here. He wants his people together, and he brings that about by activating each of our responsibilities. So we have this picture, brothers and sisters. On the one hand, we marvel at the work the Lord is doing today in today's world, a work that reaches across the globe and extends even into our own community. Yes, that touches even ourselves. We marvel at his church gathering work, and we praise him for it. At the same time, we recognize the way in which the Lord is pleased to operate and take the consequences seriously. That is, we recognize that the Lord gathers his church through us obeying his commands. So exactly because we delight in his church gathering work in our modern world, we make it our business to gather along with him. We make it our business to bring ourselves together, to come to church Sunday by Sunday. This is what the church confesses in Article 28 of the Belgian Confession as follows. We believe since this holy assembly and congregation is the assembly of the redeemed and there is no salvation outside of it, that no one ought to withdraw from it, content to be by himself, no matter what his status or status may be. But all and everyone are obliged to join to it and unite with it. Notice the strong words of our confession here. All and everyone are obliged to join this holy assembly and congregation. That's the gathering of God's people as we see it here Sunday by Sunday. And no one is permitted to withdraw from it. Now joining, it's not a matter of including your name in a membership register as if the church is some sort of club. No, it's joining is first of all a reference to coming together when the Lord calls his people together each Sunday. All who draw away from the church and fail to join it act contrary to the ordinance of God. Pretty strong language. The Father has given church people to the Son and these persons 
the sun does not leave as so many isolated individuals in their various homes across town, but rather it gathers them together for the edification and worship of God. Because Christ is at work in gathering his church, no one has the right to refuse to come together. All are obliged to leave Christ's church-gathering work here in Emmanuel and so gather along with Christ. Take seriously the responsibilities the Lord has given us. That's so because that's so because the church is Christ's work. I realize well that any assembly of the redeemed will remain riddled with faults. If Paul can say to the Romans that he can he can will what is right, but can't do it because of a sin that remains in him, we read Paul, Paul speaking about this in Romans seven. Should we be surprised or even offended when we see faults in each other? No, I do not say that we have to ignore each other's faults. We, have a certain, we certainly have a duty to encourage each other to greater holiness. But at the same time, we need to keep in mind that the church is Christ's work. And he is pleased to gather sinners together, not perfect people. He knows that I have faults, yet he brings me here. He knows that you have faults yet he brings you here too. Even while we encourage each other in the Lord's service, we keep our eye first and foremost on Christ, who gathers you and me together. And as long as we keep our eye on Christ, we shall not stumble over each other's remaining weaknesses. But once our eye is off of the Christ, the sins we see in each other become offensive, and the temptations are so great to withdraw from the church and find maybe a more holy gathering opposes, or one where we feel more comfortable. That's not the way the head of the church wants it. Our eye is to stay on Christ, and therefore wait patiently for him to perfect the church. That will happen on the last day, for that's when we will be delivered from this body of death. So inclined as it is still to sin. Meanwhile, we recognize Christ's work in our midst, and for his sake, we join and continue to join the gatherings he works Sunday by Sunday. That raises another question, though. Where are we to gather with the saints of God? There is in Edmonton any number of buildings opening their doors on Sunday for public worship, all with the term church on the building or on a nearby sign. There are more than 700 churches in Edmonton, including Roman Catholic, Pentecostal, Baptist, United, Christian Reformed, Lutheran, the list goes on. There's hundreds of them. Here we have the Emmanuel Community Reformed Church. What's my responsibility here? Where would Christ have me gather with his people? May I take my gifts? May I go where my friends are? May I go where I feel comfortable? The answer, brothers and sisters, is determined by whether my eye is on Christ or not. It's the emphasis of Scripture. It's the emphasis of our Lord's Day today. It's the emphasis of this sermon. The church is Christ's work. Then yes, we have a responsibility, and that is where, and that, sorry, we have a responsibility, and that is that we gather where Christ is, where he is sovereign, where people, as much as is possible in this fallen world, do not get in the way of Christ's work being done. So the people he uses in his work must submit themselves with all their strength 
and the insight to really reveal the real you. This is the point of the well-known remark of Article 29. The gathering I must join is that which, and it reads, follows and practices the pure preaching of the gospel. It maintains the pure administration of the sacraments as Christ instituted them. It exercises church discipline for correcting and punishing sin. In short, it governs itself according to the pure word of God, rejecting all things contrary to it and regarding Jesus Christ as the only head. Hereby, the true church will certainly be known and no one has the right to separate from it. That's why we gather here in this place. As far as we can tell, here Christ reigns and all is done. Again, as much as possible in this broken world, all is done in accordance with Christ's will. And those who do not gather with us to attend other churches in the city or perchance don't go to church at all? Are they necessarily unbelievers? Are they non-elect people? No, beloved, no. In the brokenness of this fallen world, there are persons whom the Father has given to the Son who do not go to church where they ought. That is the truth. As true as the fact that they're hypocrites within the Canadian Reformed Churches. I stress the point for two reasons. The first is that we are not to think evil of those who attend another church. They do wrong, it's a fact, for the Lord would have them gather where he calls, but that gives us no right to look down on those of them. Despite our best efforts, we don't do everything right here either. The second reason for stressing this point is we are not to think that our being Canadian Reformed is evidence that we will be saved. Only those have forgiveness of sins and will inherit eternal life who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And going to a particular church is not of itself evidence of faith. Here, we all need to examine ourselves as to why we attend the particular church that we attend. The church. There's confusion about what the church is and so where the church is. That's simply because the eye is taken off of Christ and the work he is doing, and the eye is shifted onto people. But alas, as soon as one looks at people, one sees faults. And the longer one is with a particular group of people, the more faults one sees. Then the temptation is great to move along to another group, less known, maybe less offensive. But people are people, always imperfect, often course of time, one will see more faults, so one will move on again. The church. The Holy Spirit would have us look, look at Christ. When our eye is firmly fixed on him, we see him at work around the world and even in our own community. He never disappoints, and so we know where to go to church, where to hear Jesus' words, the bread of life. 